Hello, everyone, and welcome to uh, the second session of the day. Um, the title of this session is Communities and Societies. And we have uh, talks about fracking, talks about the, uh, uh, I suppose, experiences of, of older men in shelters, and um, things about community work and agency, things like that. So it should be a, a great panel, and I think that the, the themes of the papers fit together quite well. And because of that, I'm hoping that we could have the three papers uh, individually, um, and then um, maybe have group questions at the end, because I think, I think you know, the same question might be applicable to more than one paper. Um, for the people, people presenting, um, it's being recorded, so we know about that to stay near the, the, uh, the microphone. And um, without, without further ado, I'll introduce uh, Jamie Gorman from Maynooth University, and he's a PhD researcher in community development in the Applied Social Studies department. Um, you'll hear about his dissertation work uh, very soon. The title of the paper is We've Got to Get to Dublin, How Leitrim Anti-Fracking Campaigners Made Their Voices Heard in National Policy Making. Thanks everybody for coming along. Good morning. And I first just want to apologise for uh, not being at the, the previous session. I've only just arrived in Maynooth, so it's a bit of a, a delay with the, with the weather coming from, from Galway. Uh, so apologies to my, my colleagues who, whose papers I missed this morning. Um, as Steve said, Jamie Gorman is my name. I'm with the Department of Applied Social Studies here in Maynooth University. I'm a community worker and a PhD researcher. And my PhD research was a case study of the anti-fracking campaign in the northwest of Ireland. Um, so today I'm going, to, I'm going to talk a little bit about that and talk a little bit about how, as I said, the, the campaigners um, made their voices heard in, in national policy making. So in Ireland, the, the majority of environmental protest mobilisations are local in scope. They occur where communities object to locally unwanted land use that is imposed by outside actors, such as the state or the private sector. And in seeking to have their voices heard in decision-making, communities must engage with these external interlocutors, often on terms not of their own making, and often in spaces where technical, legal, and scientific knowledge is privileged over lay community knowledge. As a result, questions of voice, participation, procedural justice, and democracy are often central to local environmental disputes. And these issues are also central to community development, uh, as our panel today will, will explore. And as, uh, as we're speaking to an audience of uh, that's wider than our discipline, I do want to briefly explain what we mean by, by community development, and I hope uh, I'm not going to uh, co cover things that are, all, that are going to be covered again, but I think, I think as the first person, it's good to, to kind of give, a, give an overview. Um, so it's both a professional practice and an approach to social change that's underpinned by a set of values, which are these values here. So collectivity, community empowerment, participation, equality, human rights, and anti-discrimination and social justice and sustainable development. Uh, in Ireland, it's practiced in a paid and a voluntary capacity in a variety of contexts, including local area partnerships, family resource centres, and nationally in organisations such as Pave Point, Traveller, and Roma Centre. So my research seeks to contribute to community work practice knowledge around the environment. And to do so, I undertook a case study, uh, case study research with Love Leitrim, a local group organising collectively to oppose the extraction of shale gas by a method known as hydraulic fracturing or fracking. Um, this took place in, in County Leitrim. This is the, the license area here, so the, the orange is Northern Ireland and the green is, is the Republic. The same company operated across the border and had licenses either side of, of, of the border. Um, and fracking is a controversial form of fossil fuel extraction 
which has ignited much community resistance around the globe because of its negative social and environmental impacts. It requires pumping of large amounts of water, sand and chemicals underground to fracture the rock and release trapped pockets of methane gas. And on the 14th of February 2011, the people of Northwest Ireland and County Clare learned that the Irish government had awarded what were called licensing options to three companies for petroleum exploration. The communities of the license area were not consulted prior to these awards. Their voices were, as Aaron Daddy Roy puts it, preferably unheard. And the subsequent six-year campaign was an effective campaign to ensure their voices could not be ignored in further decision-making about fracking. Uh, in July 2017, legislation was enacted to prohibit the use of fracking in Ireland. So what were the challenges that local campaigners faced in, having their voices, in making their voices heard? And how did they overcome them to jump scales from a local campaign to secure national legislative change? In order to answer these questions, I, myself, I, immer I immersed myself as a participant observer in Love Leitrim's campaign and as a resident in the town of Manor Hamilton in North Leitrim. Um, sorry, guided by my, my, guided by, by my professional and personal values as a community worker, I developed an approach to case study that was both dialogical, or rooted in conversations and active engagement, and diachronic, or committed to the group, the people and the place over a course of time. My research identified several scale-jumping strategies which were employed by Love Leitrim in order to overcome power asymmetries and make their voices heard. And so these I want to now turn. So I'll leave this slide up uh, for, for most of the rest of the, of the presentation and I'll, I'll speak, to, speak to the slide and, and, and explain these, these strategies. So the first scale jumping strategy was to shape the discursive opportunity structure. Um, and I do have a quick uh, definition of that from Mark Garvin, uh, who describes it as the extent to which institutional and political structures permit actors to address what they regard as the causes of conflict and the extent to which their arguments are recognised as legitimate by their interlocutors and permitted to have an effect on policies and decisions. So Love Leitrim campaigners sought to actively shape this discursive opportunity structure within which the policy debates on fracking were taking place. When engaging with decision makers and regulators and the media uh, outside of the community, the group framed its concerns, number one, around public health, and number two, around governance and democracy. Adopting these frames supported the campaigners to shape the public and the political narrative around fracking countering potential parasymmetries and knowledge uh, hierarchies. For example, campaigners felt that peer-reviewed medical evidence and, and the opinions of the medical profession have, in what one participant described, more cachet with the politicians. And so focusing on the public health risks associated with fracking had both clear fidelity to local concerns and the ability to, to jump scales and engage interlocutors at the, at the, at the regulatory scale. The emerging health impact research from North American fracking sites provided campaigners with peer-reviewed evidence that could be marshaled in interactions at the regulatory scale. Campaigners felt that the opinions... I'm oh, sorry, I said that already. <laughs> um, and so, so members of Lord Region were instrumental in the establishment of a group known as the Concerned Health Professionals of Ireland, um, which advocated uh, for the public health case uh, for a ban on fracking and was instrumental in shaping the debate as legislation was drafted and introduced in the summer of 2016 to ban the practice. Democracy and governance were also significant scale-jumping frames, and there are several scale-jumping strategies which were important uh, in this regard and connected to the group's uh, use of this frame. So these I now turn. First, we have claiming, the power as, claiming power as an elector. 
And Chris, one of the participants, stressed the importance of holding the democratic system to account as a central tenet of the whole campaign, as the group sought to, as he described it, use the system that's there and make it work, rather than, make it work for the community rather than just bypass it or rant at it. To do this, campaigners developed a resistance identity in Gamson's terms as electors, as individuals who collectively constitute the sovereignty of a democracy. Acting as electors positioned the group strategically as concerned citizens, which placed the campaigners in a position of relative power in the electoral clientele system, uh, which, which, which makes up the, the political culture of, of rural Ireland. And I'll, I'll return to that in a minute. So from this position, campaigners questioned the democratic legitimacy of fracking and raised concerns about the propriety and transparency of the political decision-making process. This strategy impacted on the group's interactions, number one, with local politicians in the constituency area, and number two, with ministers and ministers of state with the, who had the political oversight for the licensing process. With, politi with local politicians, the group adopted what Heather described as the get-them-in-the-t-shirt approach to public accountability. Campaigners used anti-fracking t-shirts strategically uh, at public events and community events to, uh, ensure, to, to, bring, to um, create photo opportunities to politicians. And a politician that might uh, not make a public statement on, on fracking uh, would find it harder to refuse being photographed uh, in, in the t-shirt or with campaigners. And campaigners made effective use of social media and, and local newspapers to publicise uh, this support. On several occasions during the campaign, Lovely Tree members secured meetings with ministers responsible for the licensing and the regulatory process. At these meetings, they consistently raised issues of the propriety of the process and highlighted the minister's accountability for how decisions in the fracking licences and the later Environmental Protection Agency study were made by the state and the EPA. Publicly in 2013, Love Leitrim submitted an application not to frack, which was a creative tactic, uh, creative take on a classic petitioning tactic that emphasised public participation in the democratic process and evocatively asked if polit political representatives were with your people or not. This strategy, as I said, built on campaigners. Oh, sorry. Uh, the next, next strategy then is, is engaging in public interest clientelism. And this strategy built on campaigners claiming the power of electors. <coughs> and Love Leitrim repurposed the political culture of electoral clientelism in rural Ireland in the public interest to influence policymaking around fracking rather than, as Robert put it, just to get our tribe in. In local Irish politics, politicians must cultivate reputations as assiduous workers on behalf of their constituents in, often to in order to distinguish themselves, including from members of their own party. Thus, campaigners recognise that in Irish politics, constituents have quite significant leverage over their representatives who are politically, particularly responsive to electoral pressure. Thus, Lovely Trump campaigners engaged with all elected representatives and candidates across the political, political spectrum in order to further their aim to ban fracking. Heather described this as uh, this transcending of partisan politics as trying to be apolitical, yet trying to work a political system. While this engagement was respectful and friendly, it was also critical and robust. Working with other campaign groups, Love Leitrim built enough political consensus against fracking to secure an inclusion of a ban on, on the practice in the, Lovely, in, the, in, the, sorry, in the Leitrim County Development Plan in 2014. This tactic secured a local democratic mandate to prevent fracking and allowed campaigners to then work with politicians to scale that mandate up to a national level, both through political parties and uh, but working with the, the local political representatives to raise the issue through their political parties and working nationally with, with politicians in, in the Oireachtas. Love Leitrim also supported the Vote Frack Free initiative of the Fracking Free Network that during the 2014 
local and European elections as well as the 2016 general election. And these initiatives built again on the power of the electorate to turn the individual act of voting into a public and collective tactic which demonstrated that voters would hold politicians to account for their position on fracking. As with the strategy of claiming the power of the elector, the strategy of public interest clientelism was most effective at a local level. Yet the group also tailored the strategy to its engagement with decision makers at the scale of regulation. The literature highlights the difficulty uh, with which communities face in navigating environmental governance structures at a regulatory scale. Uh, as I said, the, this, privilege is this just tends to privilege scientific and technical expertise. And thus, rather than engaging with the process of environmental governance on the terms set out by the, by the government or the EPA, um, in, in, you know, in terms of, of the, the scientific, legal or, or regulatory processes, the um, campaigners sought to affect the debate in the public and political arena. This position campaigners again, as I said, as electors, holding politicians to account, rather than as lay people with insufficient scientific knowledge to influence the policy process. Campaigners understood the different roles and potential roles which different politicians could usefully play in this process, particularly in the parliamentary process of, of, of drafting and enacting legislation. The group took a non-partisan approach to engaging with decision makers across the political perspective in the Oireachtas, political spectrum in the Oireachtas, um, approaching politicians variously to submit parliamentary questions to ministers, to use their party's time in the doll to propose anti-fracking legislation, as with the People Before Profit bill in 2015, and to raise issues at committee hearings, including hearings on the EPA study and during legislative scrutiny on the bill to ban fracking. While politicians were also generally not experts in environmental science, geology or engineering, their position as democratically elected representatives meant that they could hold regulators to account in ways which ordinary lay citizens couldn't. Finally then we have been unreasonably reasonable in their resistance. And Tony Varley and Anthony Curtin have theorised po rural populist mobilisation in Ireland as a form of rearguard resistance by rural communities which have found themselves in a subordinate position in industrialising society and are attempting to negotiate power imbalances by organising collectively. They argue, and I'll bring up the quote, that populist type collective action on the part of relatively powerless, on part of the relatively powerless can be constructed, I think that should be construed, uh, as beginning or continuing a process of generating the power to negotiate or counter those dominating and exploiting forces that exert power over subordinate elements uh, of powerless, powerless communities. Yes, the communitarian political culture of rural Ireland has led to a censoring and a stifling of what may be perceived as radical activism. Lovelychum was cognizant uh, that labels such as crusty or blow-in could be used to discredit campaigners. And so by adopting a stance of being unreasonably reasonable, the group actively negated these activist stereotypes which might have otherwise been evoked to discredit the group. To conceptualise this strategy, I drew directly from uh, one campaigner, uh, Trina's description of the group's approach to engaging with the fracking company uh, when they first arrived in 20, 2011. She explained that the group's stance was to be unreasonably reasonable with Tamborin when the company claimed 600 jobs would be created by fracking. By asking questions and drawing Tambor into a public debate, campaigners could publi publicly refute the company's claims. It was harder, she suggested, for them to handle, unre handle reasonable people. As I undertook my fieldwork and developed my analysis, I came to see that being unreasonably reasonable was a stance which characterised Love Leitrim's approach to collective action throughout the campaign. They included, this included their use of creativity and family-friendly activities um, and extended to the stance of, of, of non-violence in, in direct action to resist fracking. 
Now, despite this creative, inclusive, and peaceful approach, community resistance established and enforced a bottom line of resistance uh, for communities, which made, it, which made it clear that they would not accept the practice of fracking. This was illustrated by resistance to, to Tamboran's attempt to drill in Belku, in the north of, of Ireland, just over the border in Fermanagh, as well as the 2015 Lock the Gate campaign, which prevented uh, the collection of geological data which could be used by the fracking companies. Robert, one of the participants, argued that communities can be local nodes of resistance to fundamentally large problems that aren't that easy to solve, because one of the things small communities can do is simply say no. And while that meant that, as he said, a project or industry moves off to a place where a community maybe isn't as strong, at the same time, every community that resists can empower another community. So my case study of, of Lovitrum has presented an example of how a community organised collectively to bring about structural change in environmental policy which prevented fracking. Environmental policy which governs outcomes for communities remains broadly the preserve of, of states. The strategies identified in this research illustrates potential avenues for scaling up local environmental action and sidestepping potential power and knowledge asymmetries which could devalue community voices and perspectives and inhibit their ability to participate effectively in decision making. Across the world, as communities are experiencing extreme weather events, such as flooding, droughts and storms like today, uh, which are more drastically affecting the global south and marginalised communities here in the north, climate change, climate change significant negative implications for social justice, equity and human rights are already being experienced and will continue to be exasperated unless urgent and transformative action is taken. In this context, the scale jumping strategies which I've identified in this case study could be usefully employed by practitioners and communities to seek a just and equitable energy transition away from fossil fuel dependency, as well as the equitable adaptation to the effects of a changing climate, such as extreme weather events. It is essential that this energy transition is not just a technical question of mitigation and adaptation, but also contributes to the building of an equitable and resilient society and equitable and resilient communities. An important starting point for this, I suggest, is that the preferably unheard claim their right, their rightful place in the decision-making process and I think that these strategies may be one approach to supporting them to do so. So thank you very much.